There are many reasons people are drawn to journalism. It's often not the most glamorous profession, although it's sometimes it might look like it is. It really isn't. Uh, but perhaps the most obvious and the most profound is the need to share people's stories, the need to connect with people and share their stories. And when you're given that great privilege of telling their stories, empathizing with them in a way that allows you to really get to the root of what it is they're trying to say, telling a story that the person whose story you're sharing is proud of when they see it. That's the ultimate reason some people are drawn to this profession. And it strikes me as what drew my next guest to this profession, a journalist with years of experience beginning in Stony Plain, Alberta, where she's from. Brandy Morin has worked for organizations such as the CBC, APTN, the New York Times, National Geographic, Al Jazeera, and many more. But through her reporting on Indigenous issues, there's also a personal story, one that sometimes mirrors the stories that she's reporting about. It includes time in foster care, witnessing generational trauma, sexual abuse, mental health crises, and more. An award-winning French Cree Iroquois journalist from Treaty 6 in Alberta and author of her new memoir, Our Voice of Fire, Brandy Morin joins me now. Thank you so much for your time tonight and congratulations. <laughs> Tom, say thank you so much uh, for having me. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, you know, I've, I've always been struck by, by the stories that stay with you. And I, I feel like by opening your book, your memoirs, talking about Tina Fontaine, that must have been one of those stories that really, really stuck with you over the years. Why was that? You know, I remember in 2014, it was August, when um, her body was being pulled from Winnipeg's Red River. And it took her innocent looking face even though she was 15 years old she was she was a child she looked like a child um you know she her life was just taken senselessly and it took her face splattered across headlines in this country to finally shake this country up enough to take action and to um you know go forward with the national inquiry uh, into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And so, uh, you know, I I, I very much um, saw a lot of myself in Tina. I, um, you know, grew up in and out of the foster care system. I ran away. I was in very dangerous situations. I ran away from a group home in Edmonton and was held against my will. And, and raped by two older men uh, for about a week. And I escaped with my life. I knew um, I could have been Tina and she could have been me. So it's not, you know, it, you know, Tina resonated with me, but each and every um, one of our sisters and their families or survivors also resonates. Uh, with me, and um, I just realized how privileged I am to be here. I mean, sometimes just the, the form of reporting you do is is so intimate. The mm. weight of that must be difficult too, because sharing people's stories with the in the profound way that you do, um, especially the, the grief and 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 the trauma that you witness and that you share. That's a very, those, you, you, you wear though, you, you take those stories inside you. You don't just skim across yeah. the surface. You take them in and, and tell them, and it must be, it must be tough. Um, <clears throat> you know, yes. And, um, it is, but I, I just think that, um, you know, going through a lot of the things that I have come through, 
you know, has equipped me to be able to do this. It's it's not an, an easy thing. I mean, 90% of the stories that I cover, because I exclusively tell Indigenous stories, involve um, murder, grief, human rights, uh, violations, um, you know, injustice. And it's a constant um, maneuvering, you know, uh, through these stories. And, and because I'm Indigenous, I am affected. And, um, you know, there's times when I would go on the road on heavy assignments, you know, for a week or so and um, be experiencing nightmares in my hotel and panic attacks and um, just really struggling to get through um, and having to take, you know, sleeping pills and, and things like that. But, um, you know, then going and, and writing that story or, you know, putting that story together, whether it's broadcast or podcast, once I released that story out, then I felt a release um, because I carry those stories with me all the time. But when I release them out into the world, I, I just feel like I've, done the best that I do, you know, to try to bring awareness, to try to um, bring, you know, uh, justice, uh, you know, to these people that are experiencing it. So I, you know, I, I've been working through um, a lot of um, these um, effects that I feel, um, but I'm not, I'm no stranger to it and, you know, to, to feeling um, and to being, you know, in, in a state of, you know, stress, but, I've come a long way and um, I'm, I'm learning as I go to process better through it. And I um, just, you know, I, that having those lived experiences, it, it allows me to connect to people, to empathize, to um, connect on, on a deeper level and to be able to deeply feel that. And I, and I know that that's per- portrayed in, in, in my work. Yeah, one thing you mentioned that I thought was really poignant was you said the truth can be very ugly, mm. but necessary. Absolutely. You know, this, you know, truth and reckoning process that we are in, you know, across Canada, and this is a wave that's moving across North America and even across the world. Um, it's ugly and it's um, painful. It doesn't. You know, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you have to face. It's something that you have to feel and something that we have to move through together. And my book and my memoir and my story, a lot of it is ugly. A lot of it is painful and uncomfortable. But there is hope and inspiration in that. And, um, you know, my, hopefully, um, it, you know, it can reach people in the way that my stories do to connect, you know, us human to human, which I believe is a really powerful way to break down the different barriers that we have, um, you know, with whether that's through race or culture or, you know, um, you know, um, economics or standing. So, yeah. It must have been, how was it to write your own story? When did you know that it was time to sit down and, and mm. put all those thoughts down into, into one place? Because that's, that's a challenging thing to do, as, as I'm sure yeah. any listener will know. Yeah, so um, I have a mentor, a longtime mentor. She was my former 
news director when I was working for APTN National News um, several years ago. And um, we've stayed close, and she, you know, would tell me, you know, from time to time, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And I, she knew I was a survivor and, and that I had overcome a lot of adversity and, and really fought my way um, to, what, to what I'm doing. But I, you know, I didn't really take her seriously. And then I think it was about two or three summers ago now, I wrote a piece for The Guardian about um, my own story as a survivor. I was just frustrated with the things that were going on, the, you know, the apathy um, in the, you know, in this country and, and across North America with this crisis. So I, the response to that, you know, even that article was incredible. And so about a year and a half, two years ago, I just thought, okay, well, maybe it's time. Because, you know, I have a platform as a journalist. I have power as a journalist. And people share their stories that are intimate and raw all the time. And they're brave enough and courageous enough to share that with the world. And so I feel that responsibility. And so I just started, um, you know, I started writing and the doors just kept opening for it from my agents to my publishers at House of Nancy. Um, And it's just been just an incredible um, experience. Our guest this half hour is Brandy Morin. She's a award-winning French Cree Iroquois journalist from Treaty Six in Alberta. She's author of a new memoir called Our Voice of Fire. She's also been covering covered the Pope's visit. This was all happening. This whole prelude to the mm-hmm. book release was happening, and you were busy. I know because I was <laughs> following what you were doing. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk briefly just about a bit more about the book and 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 what you hope to hope readers get from it. And we maybe we'll have time to talk a bit more about your impressions of the Pope's visit as well. That's coming up. Freelance journalist Brandy Morin is with us this half hour, author of a new memoir called Our Voice of Fire, just out. Uh, congratulations. I gather it's doing very well as well. I mean, it's, that's always encouraging, isn't it? It's, an, it's amazing. Like, um, it's, it, it was only officially released yesterday, although it came out in bookstores over the past week, and it's selling out in places. The Toronto Star just released a list of the top-selling book, books in the country today, and it's number 10 in the country. Like, I'm blown away. <laughs> wow. Wow. I saw you. I saw a video of you and your daughters going into uh, Indigo in, in Stony Creek to, to look for a copy. It happened to be beside Bill Browder's book, Freezing Order, which is because we've had Bill Browder on the show. And he was talking about wow. how well his book sales were going. It was There were fewer of yours than his left. Wow. Wow. Yes, there was. It was incredible. I was actually in Spruce Grove. I'm from Stony Plain. And it was uh, Plain, the, the bookstore. Yeah, it was the bookstore nearest to me. That was like, pretty cool. And I, I did a couple of uh, books, another uh, couple of book signings in Edmonton today. And the one um, bookstore glass um, bookshop, they were completely like all the books were spoken for. And I'm, I'm it's just unreal. But I'm grateful. So grateful because the message is important. I gather when you were telling other people's stories, you would have an idea of what you were hoping the impact would be. But now that you've mm. told your own, what would you? What are you hoping readers get from it? What are you hoping we all get from it? You know, ultimately, I hope that um, you know it connects our hearts, like I was saying, because um, you know when when we get authentic with each other, 
and storytelling. Um, it, it connects us and it breaks down so many different barriers. Um, you know, our our women, our Indigenous women and girls, have often not been valued, or the blame has been put on them for the genocide that's ongoing um, in the violence that our women face. They're seen as a drunk on a bender, a runaway. She deserved it. She shouldn't have been doing that. I was a runaway. And I think that if people have a look into my story, which unfortunately is similar to so many others, you know, who have survived or have not survived, that they um, maybe would, um, you know, shift, help shift the narrative, you know, um, to uh, change these injustices or, you know, be spurred, you know, to take action or, um, you know, just to be able to create that understanding and to give people hope, anybody, anybody who's overcome, you know, very difficult things, um, you know, I, I hope that they would be inspired ultimately. It's, I gather, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a tough, I mean, not a tough read. People are reading it in one sitting, it I've, been, I've been seeing, but it's a tough read. And I, I, I know this, I was, I was going to ask you about the Pope's visit. We probably won't have a, a lot of time, but there seems to be an appetite at least now. To mm-hmm. learn, to learn. Yeah. You know what? It's um, been a long time coming. I, you know, started in um, journalism full time over 10 years ago, and I've been doing exclusively Indigenous stories for, you know, almost near that same amount of time. And um, it's it's getting better. Um, our people, are, our stories are starting to, you know, come to the forefront a lot more. There is, you know, little by little um, justice and reconciliation and healing um, and, and just this, this awakening, this revitalization, you know, of our people that have lived through genocide and the intergenerational um, impacts of that are still um, being felt. And so, um, you know, we are in a, in, a, in a good place. We are a generation of fire. Um, and um, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. It's um, it's a ugly thing, like we've said, but um, you know, hopefully, we can do this together as a country. You know, I, I should have asked you this long ago, but our voice of fire. Where does that come from? <laughs> it comes from a couple of lines in my book, um, but yeah. you know, there there are prophecies about this time. You know that we are a generation of fire um, as indigenous um, peoples. Um, you may have heard it referred to as the eighth fire or the seventh fire generation, where uh, our people would, um, you know, just rise to take our place in the world, and that we would, um, you know, be um, healing and um, reclaiming and um, just be able to give back and help in the in this time and place in the world um, to a lot of the different um, issues that are happening. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's that fire generation. <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> it looks like at least the book so far is is certainly a hot a hot item. So, Brandy Morin, thank you so much uh, for sharing both uh, for sharing more about your about your memoir tonight, and congratulations on putting it all down on paper, releasing it, and um, good luck. Tamiki, thank you so much for having me. This is reconciliation in the media, and I honor you. Thank you.